All right, good morning, everybody. I want to welcome all of you here today, especially if you happen to be new to our church. I'm glad to be back at Plum Creek this morning after being gone last Sunday. My wife and I had the chance to get away for the weekend, just the two of us, no kids. And that hadn't happened for a couple of years, so even though we love our kids, we love being with them, we were very grateful for two or three days of peace, quiet, adult conversation. It was really good. Well, today we are wrapping up our six-week sermon series on Galatians, and we've been walking through this book of the Bible one section at a time. And we're going to conclude today by looking at the end of chapter 5 and the early part of chapter 6. And many of you know that Galatians is a letter, and it was written by the Apostle Paul to a group of churches in a region called Galatia. So this letter is old, very old, almost 2,000 years old. But over the past few weeks, it's been amazing to see how this letter from the past is still extremely relevant here in the present. And today's conclusion is no exception. The passage we're going to read today, it speaks to all kinds of people. Maybe you walked in here this morning and your life feels heavy. You got all these burdens that you're trying to carry and you don't know how to handle all of it. If that's where you are, Galatians can speak to you. But maybe you're different. Maybe things are going really well for you right now and you're in a position where you could help someone else. If so, Galatians can speak to you too. I really believe it doesn't matter who you are. God has something to say to all of us here at the end of Galatians. And if we pay close attention this morning, we can all leave with at least one helpful thing to apply to our lives. But before we get too far, let's do a quick recap of what we've covered in this series. First, why did Paul write this letter? Well, like I said, he's writing to a group of churches in a region called Galatia. And there was one thing these churches had in common. Do you remember what it was? In the churches of Galatia, many Christians had drifted away from the true gospel of Christ. They were listening to a particular group of Jewish Christians who said, Sure, Jesus is great, but if you really want to be a part of God's true family, you have to do more than just follow Jesus. You also have to follow all of our Jewish rules and traditions. So for the Gentile or non-Jewish Christians, that meant embracing all the Old Testament rituals like circumcision and Jewish dietary laws and strict rules about the Sabbath day. And when Paul heard about this, he was pretty much furious because those Jewish Christians were not teaching the gospel. They were teaching legalism. And there is a huge, huge difference between legalism and the gospel. And let's make sure we understand the distinction here. First, what is the gospel? Well, the word gospel means good news. Yeah. And in the Bible, the gospel is the good news about Jesus. And here's the definition we've been using. The gospel is the good news that Jesus died in our place so that we could be saved by God's grace through faith in Christ instead of trying to be saved by our own works, which is hopeless. So the gospel is based on God's grace. It's a gift that we don't deserve. None of us deserve it. And how is the gospel different than legalism? Well, legalism is all about working really hard to try to earn God's approval. It's about trying to meet God's standard through human effort and willpower. 
But that approach never works because none of us has the ability to meet God's standard of goodness, not on our own anyway. Human effort will never, never get you there. Nobody will be accepted by God through the system of legalism. The only way to be accepted is by the grace of God that comes through Jesus. But then where does that leave us if we're saved by God's grace? Do we settle for the fact that we're just kind of messed up? Do you, do you have to accept that you're never going to be the person that God wants you to be? No, absolutely not. If you really put your faith in Jesus and you make the decision to follow him, you will be very serious about growing to become more like Jesus. But you don't grow and change by just trying hard. Again, that would be legalism. Legalism is trying to change ourselves from the outside in. It's behavior modification and, and hoping that your heart will follow. That's what the Galatian Christians were trying to do, but there is another way, the way that actually works, the way of grace. Grace is allowing God to change us from the inside out. And do you remember how God changes us? If you were here last week, you heard Dylan talk about this. God changes us through the power of the Holy Spirit. God places His Spirit inside of us, and He gives us a strength that we just don't have on our own. And by the way, if you didn't get a chance to hear Dylan's sermon, you should go back and listen because he did a great job. And he left off last week at the end of Galatians chapter 5, and that's where I want to pick it up today. Let's start with Galatians 5 verse 24. In that verse, Paul says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So when you give your life to Jesus, you are literally dying to your old self, just like Jesus died on the cross. But guess what? That old self doesn't want to stay dead. Those old passions and old desires keep trying to creep back into your life. So how do you keep those desires from coming back? By willpower? By going to church every week and feeling super guilty and making a promise to God that you'll do better next time? No, that's not how it happens. Look at the next verse. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So we live by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit enables us to live like Jesus. He transforms us from the inside out. But it's not like God does this without our participation. We're not robots here. We're partners, aren't we? Our role is to keep in step with the Spirit. Have you ever tried to keep in step with someone who's walking in front of you? Uh, my first experience with that was back in middle school when I joined the marching band. I was kind of a scrawny kid, and I played trombone at the time. In fact, the trombone and I were just about the same height, uh, but it was a little challenging at first to try to play my instrument and march in step at the same time. I, I had to keep looking down at the person in front of me, and I can still remember whenever I wasn't in sync, I would do this little stutter step to get back in line. But I'll tell you something. Even in middle school, I knew my place. I never tried to get the person in front of me to match my step. That would be ridiculous, right? It was my responsibility to make sure my stride matched the leader. And it's the same for any follower of Jesus. We have to make the conscious decision to keep in step with the Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives us the pattern and the power to stay in step. 
but we have to agree to follow His lead. And the more we do that, the more we'll see the fruit of the Spirit showing up in our lives. If you read Galatians 5, you know that there are two lists at the end of that chapter. The first list is called the acts of the flesh, and it includes things like sexual immorality and hatred and jealousy and fits of rage. The second list is what's called the fruit of the Spirit, and this list includes things like love, joy, peace, patience, and so on. And over time, a follower of Jesus should grow to become more like Jesus. We should see more of the fruit of the Spirit and less of those desires of the flesh. But like I said, those old desires don't want to stay dead. So what do we do when we've gotten out of step with the Holy Spirit? Well, that's when we go to God and we say, God, I need your help again. I need you to give me the power to crucify the flesh and keep in step with your Spirit. And God promises to provide that power when we surrender to Him. So we keep in step with the Spirit by using the power that He gives to follow where He leads. That's what we see in Galatians 5.25, and that's a great summary of how to live as a follower of Christ. But how does this play out in our everyday lives? Well, that is exactly where Paul is headed. In this next section of Galatians, Paul gets very specific. He takes the general idea of keeping in step with the Spirit, and he applies it to our relationships. Later in chapter 6, Paul refers to the church as the family of believers. So, specifically in the church setting, what should this family look like? How should we treat each other? Will, will the church family be functional or dysfunctional? Well, the answer to that question is based on how many of us are willing to keep in step with the Spirit. So, let's read on. We're up to Galatians 5.26. In that verse, Paul writes, let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. Now, you know what I love about this verse? I love the honesty of it. Because Paul doesn't pretend like we're all going to get along just because we're a part of the same church. And it's true, isn't it? Relationships can be so difficult. We all fight these natural tendencies to be selfish or negative or to divide up into different factions. And if we're going to see true love and unity within the church, it's only going to happen by the power of the Holy Spirit. This verse is a great example because any of us can become conceited and focused on ourselves. And that plays out in two very different ways. One way is provoking and the other is envying. Tim Keller says these two attitudes give us a summary of just about everything that goes wrong in relationships. Think about it. When you provoke someone, you're looking down on that person in arrogance. And when you envy someone, you're looking up at that person in resentment. So on one side, you have a superiority complex. On the other side, you have an inferiority complex. And that is what happens, right? Sometimes we feel better than certain people, and other times we feel less than. And really, it's all about comparison. So many relational problems come because we're comparing ourselves with others. And the truth is, we all have this tendency. We look at other people and we place them into some invisible ranking system. And then we ask, hmm, now where do I stand in that system? Kind of like, okay, these are the people who are above me and these are the ones who are below me. 
And the crazy thing is we're usually not even aware that we're doing this. I recently came across a study where researchers were looking at how quickly the average person makes a judgment about someone else. And here's what they found. Imagine for a moment that I am out somewhere standing in a line and I'm standing next to a total stranger. And let's say that I try to be friendly and I introduce myself. How long do you think it'll take for that stranger to decide if it might be possible for the two of us to be friends? Maybe one minute? Five minutes? Well, according to the study, it takes the average person somewhere between 2.4 and 4.6 seconds to decide if there's any potential for a relationship. We categorize other people so quickly and often unconsciously. But when we put that person into a category like that, we, we often close ourselves off to a relationship, either because we feel superior or inferior. Either way, I think we can agree this tendency is not healthy. But you know, it's not just among strangers. We also see this tendency among friends. Let's say that you and a friend of yours have some kind of falling out. And let's say you really believe you're in the right, like you're in a position of moral superiority. Well, if that's how you feel, you might just be tempted to provoke that person or treat them with contempt. On the other hand, what happens when we feel inferior to someone we know? Well, we may be tempted to envy that person or avoid them or secretly hope that they get taken down a notch. Either way, when we're operating with feelings of superiority or inferiority, we're using that internal invisible ranking system. And that's kind of a legalistic approach, isn't it? But what would the Holy Spirit lead us to do? Well, let's look at what we see over in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. This is also the Apostle Paul writing, and he says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. So here we have our marching orders from the Holy Spirit. We're called to forgive each other. And do you see how much or how often we should forgive? It says, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Wow. So if I am forgiving you as much as God has forgiven me, I've got a lot of forgiving to do. You see, it all goes back to the cross. I did not deserve for Jesus to die in my place and that's the great news of the gospel. God has given me this forgiveness and salvation that I don't deserve. I could never deserve it. And do you see how that levels the playing field? The cross of Jesus is a reminder that no one has the right to feel superior or inferior to anybody else. That invisible ranking system has been abolished. Why? Because God has offered all of us a grace that none of us deserve. And that frees us up to love, and to forgive without reservation. But you know what? I'm still going to fight that old tendency to rank myself, and you will too. So how do we get over that? By trying hard? No, we already know how to change. We crucify the desires of the flesh, and we keep in step with the Spirit by using the power that He gives to follow where He leads. So that takes us up to Galatians chapter 6, and the relationship challenges are about to get even more difficult. Galatians 6 verse 1, Paul says, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. 
But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Now, the first thing we need to keep in mind here is that Paul is talking about relationships inside the church. He's talking about someone who claims to follow Jesus, but they've gotten caught in a sin, kind of like a bear that's caught in a trap. And man, we could easily base an entire sermon on this one verse because this is something that churches really struggle with. When one follower of Jesus is caught in a sin, there are two very natural but unhealthy responses. One response is to just bring down the hammer. Let them have it. Hold that person accountable. Let them experience the full consequences of their actions. The other possible response is to be sort of lenient Maybe you give the person a slap on the wrist. Maybe you don't even do that. Maybe you just look the other way and ignore the wrongdoing altogether. Now, there are lots of reasons why we might lean toward a harsh or a lenient response, but you see what this verse says. It says to restore the person gently. That means we don't get to ignore the situation. We do have to address it, but we need to treat that person with gentleness and compassion. And the motivation is to try to get them back in step with the Spirit. And did you notice there is a requirement on who should do the restoring, right? It says, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person. So, how do we know who meets that qualification? Well, let's go back to the list from Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit. If you're walking in step with the Spirit, we should see in you love, and joy, and peace, and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, the requirement here can't be perfection because that would eliminate all of us. But we can ask, in our church, who is it that displays the fruit of the Spirit? That's the only kind of person that should enter this territory. If you're dealing with a superiority complex, you're better off keeping your mouth shut, to be honest. But if you're walking in step with the Spirit, you will remember that you are also very susceptible to temptation. And you will speak with gentleness and love, and the goal will be restoration. I never knew this before, but the word restore in this verse is very interesting. It comes from the Greek word katartizo, which has a medical connotation. It's like putting a dislocated shoulder back into socket. And how does that feel when someone relocates your shoulder. Is that pleasant? Not at all, right? It's going to hurt. But is the pain worth it? Well, of course it's worth it. You don't want to go through life with a dislocated shoulder. Relocation is painful, but it's a necessary pain. So, if you are the one caught in sin and a friend speaks up in order to restore you, have an open mind and an open heart because, yeah, it may hurt to hear those words, but if your friend is, is being led by the Spirit, they're truly trying to help you. As we read through Galatians chapter 6, we see a pattern for relationships in the church. The pattern for Christian community is that we're supposed to get involved in each other's lives. We don't keep ourselves at arm's length. We can't be content to come to a worship service and, and leave our relationships at a surface level. Look at the next verse in this chapter. Paul says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ, the law of love. So, at the beginning of this message, I mentioned that some of us walked in here feeling pretty weighed down. 
I also mentioned that some of us are probably in a good place right now. Some of us are not in crisis mode. And based on this verse, what is supposed to happen within the community of the church? Well, at any given time, some of us should be giving help and others of us should be receiving help. Right now, God is calling some of us to get under another person's burden and help them carry it. And God is calling some of us to be willing to ask for help and to be humble enough to receive it. And I know for a lot of us, asking for help is much harder than giving it. But that is the pattern here. It says, carry each other's burdens. And that means we have to get involved in each other's lives. And that means sometimes you're the one to give help. Other times you're the one to receive help. But this is another challenge for every church. Logistically, how do we accomplish this goal of carrying each other's burdens? For the past couple of years, Plum Creek has averaged close to 500 people on a normal Sunday here. And it's impossible for anyone to know that many people on a personal level. So how do we tackle this? Well, here's the plan. As our church grows larger, we also have to grow smaller. That's why we have life groups where you can connect with a smaller number of people who can get to know each other. These groups share life together. We grow together and we support each other when we need help. You know, pretty much every week at our church, there are a lot of you going through very difficult things, health problems, family problems, spiritual issues, the loss of a loved one, you name it. And as much as possible, the staff and the leaders of this church, we want to be there for people however we can. But you know what? With hundreds of people and hundreds of needs, we can't be there for everyone the way we'd like to be. But if you are the one going through a tough time and you are in a life group, you have a built-in support network. You've got people who know what you're going through and they're ready to surround you with love and prayers and practical help. I've seen that happen again and again. And you know, I haven't just seen it from a distance. I've been the one to receive that kind of support. My life group knows things about me and my family that the average person at Plum Creek is not aware of. And it's not like I'm trying to hide anything. It's just that these groups are designed to be the place where we grow together and we share each other's burdens. And let me just say, if you're not in a group right now and you'd like to be, you can go to plumcreek.org, click on the word commit, and you'll find a link where you can fill out a form to join a group. And if a bunch of you do that, and then we need to launch a new group, we'll be happy to do that. We just started a brand new life group a few weeks ago because we are serious about building the kind of community that Paul talks about here. Well, as I read through Galatians 6, it feels like several of these verses could be the basis for a whole sermon. And we're obviously not going to get through all of this chapter today, but I do want to read one more section before we're done. Let's jump down to verse 7. Right here, Paul says, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. 
Now, the theme of this passage is something we actually hit on earlier this year, back in our series on finances. It's the theme of sowing and reaping. Whether you're talking about money or relationships or spiritual things, we all reap what we sow. And some people might look at this principle and think of it as kind of like a Christian version of karma. But listen, a lot of people talk about karma these days, and that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches this concept of sowing and reaping. God has hardwired the universe to work in a certain way. If you plant corn, you don't get asparagus or grapefruit. You get corn. So whether uh, you make uh, an investment or whether you're sowing, planting plants, there will be a particular and predictable result. And this principle of sowing and reaping, it's not the gospel, but it is a complement to the gospel. Look back at what we read in verse 8. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Remember those two lists back in Galatians 5. List number one is the acts of the flesh. List number two is the fruit of the Spirit. And inside every follower of Jesus, there is a battle going on. Uh, The Spirit calls us to keep in step with Him, but those desires of the flesh, they just don't want to stay crucified. They keep trying to creep back in. So which of those two lists will become more prominent in your life? Well, Paul would ask, where are you planting? Where are you investing? Are you going back to those people and those places that make you want to feed the desires of the flesh? Or are you going back to the presence of God? spending time with Him in His Word and in prayer? And are you consistently connecting with the community of believers, with people who encourage you and challenge you to grow in Christ? See, it's another one of those conscious decisions. And the truth is, it's not always fun to keep in step with the Spirit. A lot of times what we want to do is just give in to the desires of the flesh. But again, do you see the honesty of Paul here? What did he say in verse 9? He said, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. So why is Paul telling us not to grow weary? It's because he knows we do grow weary. Some of you right now are so tired of trying to do the right thing all the time. You just want to quit. But God knows that too. God knows that we occasionally feel like quitting, and that's why He reminds us that we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. If you keep planting and keep investing, it will be worth it in the long run. And we need to remember two things about this harvest. First, when we invest in eternal things, the reward or the return, it will be later. It's not an instant harvest. For example, uh, let's say tomorrow, you get hit by some desire of the flesh, and and you decide to say no to that desire. Will you see a massive change in your life because of that one no? Probably not. But you are taking a small step toward becoming who God wants you to be. Or how about this? Let's say you spend 15 minutes with God tomorrow morning in prayer and in Scripture. Will you be a completely different person after those 15 minutes? Probably not. 
but it's another small step in the right direction. You are allowing yourself to be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit, and that process takes time. So that's the first thing to remember. When we invest in eternal things, the return will be later, but there's something else. The return will also be greater. It's just like uh, the way a very large plant can grow from a very small seed. God can take the small investments that we make on a daily basis, and He can grow our lives to have a far-reaching impact that's uh, something we could never imagine today. You know, this takes us back to the overall message of Galatians. And I want to make sure we don't get confused, because you might be thinking, so, if Galatians is all about freedom, and the gospel is not some legalistic exercise where you go through checklists and you follow a bunch of rules, how come this sermon sounds kind of like a to-do list? And that is a good question. It's true that the gospel is not about following rules in order to be accepted by God. The gospel is about grace. But something else is also true. When we have been accepted by God through Jesus, we want to show our love for God by doing what He says. We will be serious about keeping in step with the Spirit. It goes back to what Paul says in Galatians 5.13. He says, you, my brothers and sisters, you were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. So, yes, invest in your relationship with God and invest in your relationships with other people inside and outside the church. And sure, sometimes those relationships will be challenging. And sure, sometimes you will grow weary of doing good. But that's why God gives us His Spirit. The Holy Spirit does give us the strength that we need. And He brings about a harvest that's beyond anything we could ever dream of. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You specifically for this letter to the Galatians. Because uh, we all have that tendency to compare ourselves with others, to, to put ourselves on a ranking system, and we, we think of ourselves as better than or less than, and, and we work really hard to, to try to, to meet some expectation, whether it's expectations of other people or from you. But that's not how we find acceptance. We can only find that through your grace. And we thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the freedom that comes from the gospel. So Lord, help us to claim that freedom, to accept everything that you have offered to us, but also to live in it and to keep growing in our love for you, in our love for others. Pray that we'll see the fruit of the Spirit just grow uh, throughout this church in each of our lives. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.